Welcome. Thank you once again for hanging out with us. This is the one and only IT in the D show. This is episode 417. I'm your host, Bob Waltenspiel, hanging out with producer Randy Walker. Guest this week, old friend of mine, one of my favorite people to bang ideas off of, Jason Bork from C3. We're going to be talking all things security, communications, uh, anything technology related. Jason's usually a great go-to resource for me and uh, hope you enjoy the show. Do us a favor. Uh, hit us online, itinthed.com. Give us a like on the socials. Subscribe to us everywhere. Fine podcasts are sold. And next week on the 18th is our last meetup of the year at Whiskey in the Jar in Hamtramck. So we'll see you there at 5 o'clock. No uh, speakers, no cover. Just uh, just hanging out and drinking some Yeji. And, uh, yeah, I don't think the weather will be good enough to hang out in the patio, but uh, we'll figure it out. In new shot glasses, they arrived, and I took them up there. Beautiful. I don't know if you remember, but we were there and decided to replace the shot glasses they had. <laughs> I Yeah, it's like throw those in the garbage. Uh, but uh, I had an interesting uh, weekend. We got to do Extreme Sandbox. I don't know if you've heard of that. It was on Shark Tank where they let you drive like 20-ton bulldozers and excavators and pick up cars and smash stuff and dig holes and swing arms around and hit basketballs and off hills you built. And it was a, uh, I, I never hope, I don't know after I left that and the guy, the bulldozer, I drove for a half an hour and I'm like, how guys do this eight hours a day, 40 hours a week. I'm like, hats off to everyone out there that drives one of those things. So, I mean, you're, it like literally rattles in your back. Just, you know, you need a chiropractor after a half an hour. I can't imagine what those guys go through. It sounds like a great time though. Oh, it's uh for one for doing it once yeah um you know and the guys that ran it uh were super fired up they like you could tell they totally loved doing this and they're passionate about it and they, their eyes lit up every time we would do something like we've got to rip a uh rip a car in half um with an ex- excavator you put the teeth through the roof and then basically just you know curled the thing under and it ripped in half and I'm like, I, you know, I was kind of, you know, it would have been a lot cooler with a full tank of gas. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I wouldn't have blown up, Bob. I'm like, I'm just thinking old chips movies where you oh, yeah, yeah. dig the bumper <laughs> and, you know. Um, but, yeah, then I got to uh, one of my bucket lists I got to check off. It's a, my, I don't know if it's a full roast, but it was a minor roast from Jeffrey Ross in the hotel bar. Um, our Saturday was, uh, oh, this is another thing. Minnesota dive bars. There's there's more dive bars than like anywhere I've ever been to in my entire life, and all of them have mini casinos in them. It's, okay, it's absolutely with pull tabs and numbers and wheels, and they all like give money to the local clubs. Um, and they were all packed and they were all super loud, and I was like in heaven. So I, of course I wore my Paps sport coat. Sure. And we're nightcapping at the hotel bar, and Jeffrey Ross is standing two feet behind me, and I look at him, and I just first thing out of my mouth is, "What the hell are you doing here?" <laughs> and he's like staying away from you in that damn jacket if i can and i'm like oh and i'm like you're gonna and he was wearing one of those uh i don't know what those hats are called it's like the snap in the front you know and i'm like oh i go you're gonna throw a shade wearing that hat get out of here with that mess and we kind of laughed and we had a little small talk but that was like got roasted by jeffrey ross i don't know if it's a good roast but it was a nonetheless that was a bucket list i checked off so um, I'm sure not everyone could uh, dish it out to him as as well as he dishes it out to everyone else. Well, I so couldn't. It's kind of like 
it's kind of like being a UFC fighter and going to a bar and then everybody wants to like get in bar fights with you. So they could say they threw a punch at so-and-so like, he's just got to be like, all right, I get it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. trying to trash me or trying to one up, you know? Um, but he's the goat man. So, I mean, uh, I was, uh, I was literally like in the guy we were with, uh, from work, he was literally in awe and we went downstairs and he was there and he was like, good call him downstairs bar, bud. You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I hope you have a good time. Try this drink. It's good. And he's just sitting there going, I want to hang out with him. I want to hang out with him. I'm like, you know, just leave him alone. You know, what do you, just weird. You know, I guess he was in in town for Chappelle or something was playing in Minneapolis, but a very cool trip. Jason, you just got back from Vegas, I hear. I did. I did. Channel Partners Conference. It's the uh, largest conference of the year for uh, businesses like C3. And it gets bigger every year. I was at the Mandalay Bay. It was a great spread. Uh, lots of vendors, you know, lots of dog and pony shows, but it, it was great to actually see people in person again. And, you know, everyone's just been chomping at the bit and climbing the walls. So it, it was nice to get out, socialize with other people, talk a little business, you know, socialize a little bit. So it was good. It was really Before good. Before we get into, did you get to go to the Russian bar in Mandalay? The Russian bar? No, yeah. I, I don't think I did. There's a, uh, the whole bar top um, is half ice, like hockey rink ice. And you get the Moscow Mule, and you rest it on the uh, on the ice. You can put your handprint in it. It's uh, and you wear get the big. Uh, you can do shots of vodka in the freezer with the big fur coat on, and yeah, it's great. It's great. I experience. saw advertisements for. It. I thought it was called the Ice Bar. Is that there's two different? of them? There's two of them. There's one in the food court by the Irish Bar. Then there's okay. one actually like down the hall. Like it's yeah, that place is massive. So yeah, yeah, no ice bar in my future. Um, you know, I did actually, I went to a place called Leathernecks, which was an old Marine bar with a buddy of mine that's a former Marine, retired. And that place was super cool. It's right off the strip. Great crowd, great service. It was it was, um, it, it was a lot of fun, but I got to hang out with some old veterans and, and have a good night. Nice, nice. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a good town for two or three days. It's those five day conferences that can uh, go to hell. <sighs> You said it. You said it. I, I try and actually book the front end of that trip with my wife. So, you know, her and I will get a weekend in yeah. Vegas and then she'll go home and I'll stick around for the for the conference. We couldn't do it this year, but we've done it in the past. It's always a good move. So what kind of absolute hell was Channel Partner Conference? And it's just literally a bunch of vendors at a table going, rep my stuff. No, rep my stuff. No, rep my stuff. No, rep my stuff. I can't I can imagine that's really that's all that's being done. Well, as being an advisor or an IT consultant, I'm definitely like the bell at the ball, right? Everyone wants to buy me a drink. Everyone wants to take me out to dinner. Like you said, rep my stuff, rep my stuff. And, you know, I have to spend time with those guys. I actually, I have to sniff them out. I have to interview them and figure out, you know, is this, are they blowing smoke? Is there something real here? What's coming around the corner? So um, it's, it's always nice to have people want to take you out for a cocktail, but it's also a bit of work listening to a million sales pitches you got to be on oh yeah There's no you know and then they're not going to sit there and talk about baseball with you they want to you know our stuff goes this fast not their stuff isn't as fast as our stuff and I, I can just imagine the stupid uh pitches some people might give you there's there's a lot of turnover in the sales industry for a reason um, right but there's you know, the flip side of that coin, there are good emerging technologies out there. And this is what you have to do to sniff those guys out. Um, one of the biggest things this year that came out, cybersecurity. Everyone's talking about cybersecurity. And that's 
that's a really broad portfolio of products. You could talk about incident response, you could talk about antivirus and malware, endpoint protection, network segmentation. Um, the biggest thing for me is that companies, now that they're getting audited and the insurance providers, last year was the first year they, they all lost money with COVID, right? Ransomware attacks. Yeah. And now that the insurance carriers are starting to lose money, they're auditing their clients. And say this time last year or the year previous, their audits were like 10 question audits. Now those are 200, 250 question audits. And if you're not doing multi-factor authentication at the bare minimum, they're just going to pull your policy. They're, they're not even going to like give you a grace period. They're going to be like, so we, just, uh, we just dealt with a project that uh, we had to implement EDR in like a mm -hmm. week. And yeah. with EDR, their deductible is 50 grand. Without EDR, their deductible is 250 grand. And so they're like, uh, put put this stuff in. And uh, that, yeah, I'm just kind of validating what you're saying is, yeah, these checkboxes are getting massive on uh, compliance and regulation issues. And, and, and clients are starting to talk about incident response more seriously and say, we need to have not just an IR retainer or an IR policy, but a comprehensive one. Because historically, a lot of those IR policies, they wouldn't cover like 80% of a ransomware breach and it was all in the fine print. Now, you know, companies are, are getting up to speed on that. They realize they have to put in like table stakes, bare minimum solutions, multi-factor authentication, endpoint protection, um, adopting a cybersecurity framework, whether it's CIS or SANS or NIST or, you know, creating your own, but these are table stakes and you have to do it. Uh, and a lot of the stakeholders within these companies, the, you know, the IT guys, they weren't being listened to <laughs> this time last year or a year before that because it it's amazing to me that it has still got this paradigm of just being overhead they're not overhead it can enable a business so much and and help accomplish business goals being more competitive lowering the cost of operating expenses growing growing through mergers and acquisitions but you know we're this is a constant evolution of businesses starting to see value in in it but the one thing I think a lot of people forget too, and cyber is the big part, and this framework is pretty common. Uh, but the recovery portion, I'm just the more people you talk to, um, the more people that just it's not in their vernacular yet. And I don't know if that's next or if that's the other checkbox, but that's a uh, you know it's not part of the you know security cyber policies now, but that's a you know big portion of it. So talking about disaster recovery, talking about a business continuity plan, yeah. we, we got to have these ironed out. And this is a very, this is probably number two, number three conversation I'm having with businesses today. Revolve around that DR strategy. Um, identifying your mission critical apps, right? Businesses don't care about data centers. They don't care about blinking lights and ethernet cables all throughout the data center. A mortgage company is in the mortgage industry. They're not in the data center industry. So why do they have to maintain the data center? Um, so we talk about RPOs and RTOs. And it's all, you know, we got we were talking earlier about alphabet soup, recovery point objectives, recovery target objectives. And it's how fast can you recover from an outage? And from what point in time can you recover from? Was that close of business yesterday or was that 10 minutes ago, right? And you need to establish those RPOs and RTOs on a per application basis. Whatever is mission critical, you know, those get the lower RPOs and RTOs. Whatever no one cares about, 
you know, we'll, we'll give those eight to 40 hour RPO and RTOs. But the price, if is the RPO and RTO number shrinks, the cost goes up. And as that number is bigger, it's, it's more inexpensive. So that's why you have to kind of align those to your mission critical apps because that's what keeps businesses in business. Well, and that's the thing is they're looking at this. It's almost that is insurance as well as security is right. And it's, well, my house has never been broken into before. So why the hell do I need to buy a camera and dogs and a couple guns? And, you know, um, but it's that one time, you know, like the stories, like me and you could probably sit at the bar for four mm-hmm. hours and tell horror stories about people that, you know, couldn't rebuild this app for six months or got shut out and had to basically go two days, revert two days prior and then hand enter everything, you know, basically took two days to get caught up. You know, that, you know, some people equated it to dollars, some don't. And it's it's crazy to me, like, like the mid to small companies that it's just kind of, I don't feel like spending money on that like camp. And it's, uh, you know, even if they did get hit. <laughs> Oh, we'd figure out a way to recover. Oh, we'd we'd figure it out, right? No. Oh, we have a, an insurance company, and they'll cover all expenses, and they'll get us back up and running. That's not the case. That's not real world, and it, it's a horrible horrible approach to things. Uh, doing a business impact assessment, you know, I can't encourage that enough. And saying, okay, this BIA is going to identify your mission critical apps, and hey, how much does it cost? If your line shuts down for eight hours, you're in manufacturing, you're not stamping out parts, you're not shipping parts, you know, how much does that cost? And they're like, oh, that, that'll cost us a million dollars a day. Okay, so why are you having a problem investing 50 grand into a good DR solution, right? No, dead on right. So talking about BIA, um, one thing that's that's really come up that was like a light bulb moment for me is one a good friend of mine is C-Cell at an IR firm and they're doing incident responses for like, you know, fortune 100 companies and they're working with enterprise organizations and the CISO Ben over there, he tells me, he's like, Jason, 99% of these breaches all come out of active directory. Active directory has not been hardened, has not been audited. And it's, if you could remove active directory from the environment, you'd be a hundred times more secure than you are today. Wow. So, Wait, yes. say that again. Hold on, hold on. One more, one more time for those in the back. If you could remove Active Directory from your environment, you would be a hundred times more secure than you are today. Ninety-nine percent of these breaches are coming out of vulnerabilities with an Active Directory. And we all thought it was AWS this whole time. <laughs> you I'm could laughing talk about, as I say that. <laughs> you could talk about Active Directory file services. I mean, it's not exactly bulletproof out of the box either. And it, and it all kind of stems from these de facto settings in Active Directory. And it, if you've upgraded from previous versions of Active Directory that wasn't hardened, well, those vulnerabilities pretty much carried through. Um, so the, the firm I'm referring to, they actually do AD assessments um, after the fact because everyone needs them and they realize that they have the same light bulb moment. Um, so, you know, I couldn't encourage businesses more strongly lock down active directory it's a huge vulnerability now what's uh i mean what's their option i mean obviously for enterprise you have you know identity management solutions coming out of the nose Mm -hmm. i think for small for smaller business though what you know what's their options to 
to not hardening Active Directory? And no, no, just, else? you know, most people are using most people. That's you know, that's all I've ever seen is in mostly in mid-sized businesses. Active, you know, it's a necessary evil. Yeah. Bite the bullet, pay the ten thousand dollars, have your AD assessment done, and at least you'll uh, you'll have an option to do a CYA with your board and be like, hey, we want to remediate all of these Active Directory vulnerabilities. You know, it's it, it's going to have a $25,000 price tag or whatever it is. At least you can put that in front of your, your management or your board and say, you know, we want to do this because we don't think we're secure. Unfortunately, it's an ins- no one likes buying insurance, right? So it's a tough oh, sell. No. But y- you got to do it. You got to pay the money, get your active directory, get a good assessment done. Because the way especially group policies are are handled. Uh, if you look at the group policy or, or the group role that replicates with uh, Active Directory in the cloud, right, from an on-prem, you know, that, that user has a lot of rights. And if it's it's tough to see it. It's just really tough to see that in the admin council. So it's, it's a necessary evil. Everyone's going to use Active Directory. You got to secure it. You got to lock it down. So when you were in Vegas, I'm just curious. Cybersecurity is the hot topic. Mm-hmm. One of the funny things, uh, Randy and me did like five, it was at five episodes in a row that were digital transformation consultants, experts, companies. And we all asked them, what is digital transformation? We got five different answers. Yeah. Um, how many times did you see the word zero trust? And how many times was it a completely different answer? Probably half a dozen, at least. Answers or... Uh, a half a dozen different stories for zero yeah. trust. Yeah. So zero trust architecture, ZTA, you know, if, if you look at the, you had to make it an acronym, right? Zero trust was just too easy. You had to, you had to, <laughs> you had to alphabet soup that one. Come on. All right. When I look at zero trust, I look at micro and macro segmentation. We need to get down to the processor level of these servers and the applications that are running right at the end of the day, 99% of the workstations operating on a network, don't need to talk to each other. They don't. They need to talk to the application, whether it's a server in your data center or it's up in the cloud. It's a SaaS-based offering. So we need to lock down workstation to workstation connectivity, right? And this this kind of has overlays between IT security and OT security, so operational um, security. When you look at manufacturers that have like PLCs on the floor and controllers, um, we need to lock down that traffic and not let that ransomware in to where it can infect a robot and that robot spins out of control and, and, you know, hurts someone or who knows. So zero trust is getting that visibility and the ability to isolate the traffic between workstations. Um, I've seen other companies that focus on like NAC-based control, network access control, more alphabet soup. We're going to turn this into a drinking game. Every time I do a, an acronym, I'm going to drink. Yeah, as you should. Um, but NAC, network access control, where we do posturing and we put them into like a guest VLAN. And then once we can authenticate them, we'll let them kind of go where they need to go. Did that come back? Because that was like a big mid-2000s thing. Did Is it come back? It's still around. There, there, yeah. I saw a couple vendors that were pushing NAC, but marketing it as zero trust. Come on. 100%. We're going to call shared hosting cloud, and we're going to sell way more stuff now. It's like you said. It's just someone else's computer, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and that's the thing with 
I can't imagine if you're like a either a, well, like a Fortune 500, you're on someone's named account list, and you're a zero trust rep, mm-hmm. and there's probably 70 of them, and they're all walking in, and they're all telling a different story, and it's like, how the hell, as a human being, do you differentiate this whole this whole you know this whole thing? You you can go to the big name providers. You can go to Gartner. You go to Forrester. You can go to IEC, right? And try and get the definition of, of zero trust or network segmentation. You may get some common threads there. Um, it's it's really you know the people you're working with, the consultants you're working with, and how plugged in to the industry are they? I walk into that conference. I know half the people work in half the booths. I've been doing this six years now. You know, I, I got a good feel for who's who and what's what. And surrounding yourself with people that have a good pulse on the industry, it could be a good VAR rep. It could be a good technology advisor like, like my company. Um, guys like Kasten Thomas, right? He's been on your show a bunch of time. Kasten knows this inside and out. Him and I had uh, had cocktails over this a couple months ago. And he was blowing me away with some of the stories he was telling me and some of the vendors trying to break into this space. Um, but that is probably the the number one conversation businesses are going to be having, which is micro segmentation or network segmentation in the next two and three years, because their insurance companies are going to force it down their throat and say, you need to do this. You need to isolate that traffic. It's amazing. Randy, were you around when we had, Oh my God, what was his name? He, when he, when we first learned what cyber insurance was and we were mind blown that this actually existed Sounds familiar, yeah. I think his name was David. It was a firm out of Bloomfield Hills. And we're like, wait a minute, explain this again. Your people are buying insurance for breaches. And now it's amazing how that in what, three or four years, you're you're literally forcing the hand of these companies. Because, I mean, you know, you know, Jason, you know, we deal with smaller size, you know, the, the 500 seat and down clients. Yeah. And the policies that they're being asked to is astounding the check boxes that they have to hit so this this isn't necessarily the way it is today but this is how it kind of started um and you know i used to work for a, a large backup and recovery company and storage company uh globally probably number one before the merger with with the that company with the b with the d they won't bring up but anyways um part of their family of umbrella of companies is very big in the cybersecurity space we would sell an IR policy. That IR retainer, incident response retainer, you could price anywhere from twenty grand to three hundred thousand. And all that really gave you was what I called the bat phone, right? If you had an incident, you got ransomware, you got crypto locker, you pick up the phone and say, "I need help," and you got the SWAT team working on it. But guess what? Your retainer doesn't necessarily cover your breach. Now you go into what I call kind of blank check mode. And you are going to get a bill for services. And most incident responses, they can go weeks, if not months. I mean, look at the Sony app. That went almost a year. So, and there's a couple of, I've seen a number of iterations on how they'll bill you for it. Usually it's the number of employees times the number of hours. So if you have 500 employees, we're going to bill you a hundred bucks per employee per hour. That That's not necessarily the de facto standard. We're the wrong business, Randy. Yeah, for sure. It that that's a formula that is used, right? Now I'm just using rough numbers, but that is a formula that is used. There are other companies that handle billing differently, but I kind of I stand on my blank check mode. Once the, the policy just gives you the bat phone, 
and you can talk to the SWAT team. They're going to work on it. But guess what? You're, you're going to uh, you're going to have to cut a check. Wow. One of the things, another things that I'm seeing, and I wonder, just curious if you're seeing it as well, is it's not just driven by the cyber insurance carriers, but it's driven by customers. So uh, I have a customer that has a their customer is rhymes with I won't say the name, but it rhymes with Schmay Schmuck. Um, and then basically they gave them a checklist of this is how you are to use and dispose of and store our data. And the guy's like, oh, crap, I got to buy a bunch of stuff now or I lose this big, massive behemoth client. What do I do? B2B agreements, uh, data governance policies, being able to honor those partnerships, uh, it is becoming huge. And yeah. you look at what, there's a major automotive supplier out there that has TISAX as a requirement. If you want to work with them, T-I-S-A-X, it's very, very specific to one supplier. The worst um, acronym out of all of them. Moral, I got a drink. Might as well be a, well be a potty too. word. I always wanted to start <laughs> speaking of that. I want to speaking of bad acronyms. I always wanted to start a company called Poop pre-owned office products i think it's got legs i think it would be a billion dollar idea did know, you buy right? the domain name yet poop.com no it's taken surprise, i think surprise. dot dot co might be, be available dot biz yeah mm-hmm. but no it's you, you're hitting the nail on the head a lot a lot of the companies i work with they have those b2b agreements they have those partnerships in place and you may have a partner that is taking this very seriously and say, we can't work with you unless you have MFA implemented, unless you've checked these checkboxes. So it's more than just the insurance carrier. It's your partnerships. It's your clients. I mean, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head there. Yeah. We had to deal with that where the cost to fix it was the cost of the gross revenue for a year for this client. And it's like, well, do we want this business? And then we'll make monies year two through 10. Or do we tell them pound sand and go use someone else? Um, so, yeah, we're still in those discussions. But it's interesting now the customers are driving them to do very unnatural things that they weren't used to. These Some of these are, you know, 80, 70-year-old companies that aren't, you know, used to doing this stuff. It's it's a slow progression. It is such a, I, I go out and I'm working with a lot of companies that, you know, a lot of them are early adopters and a lot of them are fighting to implement uh, emerging technologies and they're, they're generating these initiatives on their own. And, and my hat's off to them. I, I wish there were more, but there's so many that, you know, possibly privately owned, still got the old I series or AS 400 and, yeah. you know, big iron laying out there and they got all their eggs in one basket and having it, it's trouble to it, it's difficult to sell them a dr solution like you only have one mainframe what what are you going to do when the you know when this thing when someone sneezes in the data center and this thing reboots um and that's an old joke a client told me he goes we don't go in that room that's where the s400 is we don't go near it it's like don't uh-huh. touch it. it it's it's such a an old mindset and it'll run for another 20 years if you let it they're workhorses yeah they are but you gotta we we gotta have you know solid business practices solid so i need yeah so i need to know in vegas like you this is your business mm-hmm. how many of the people out, out of that whole entire floor how many names of companies did you recognize at least a hundred out of how many Oh, there had to be 
2,500 there. So you, so, you, so if, I'm not a mathematician, but that's what two and a half percent of the companies you recognized. Uh, oh man, I'm thinking of companies I know, like I've come across, I've worked with, I've evaluated them before. Um, a lot of these companies kind of play in the same space. There are, there's a ton of net new logos. There's a ton of, of companies. Well, that's what I'm getting at. Ring. That's what I'm getting at. You got so many people now throwing their hats in the ring. They're the next big thing. And you can't keep up unless you actually know people. And that's my job, right? So businesses, it's impossible for them to stay on top of emerging technology. So if I, I talk to business all the time about like SD-WAN, and if they just Google SD-WAN, they're going to get what I call a bunch of architecture. And like the top five companies that paid for SEO saying, we're the best at SD-WAN. It's like, well, listen, there, there's a lot of caveats to this. There, you know, the technologies um, have different use cases. If you want to manage services, okay, that matters. If you want to DIY, um, I see companies co-oping the term SD-WAN as much as they could co-op the term network uh, zero trust. Right. And, you know, if it's not packet-based, it's not an SD-WAN solution. It's just fail, quick failover and not really much fail back not a lot of visibility, which isn't much different than what we had before. SD-WAN is this logical approach to, hey, I can have uh, multiple wide area network connections that are best effort. There isn't really no SLA, but I can still put QoS, quality of service, on top of those. Um, anyways, I, I got a little off track on your question. No, that's fine. No, no, I was just talking about sprawls with, with these companies that... Because I remember once someone showed me the the cybersecurity, it's like a PDF, and there's got to be 150 logos on it in about what 12 to 15 segmentations of what people label cybersecurity, whether it be you know from EDR down the line, right? And uh, it's just who the hell are these companies, and how if I'm you know a logo, let's say I'm GM. Christ Almighty! How many phone call? How, how do you field those that massive wave of phone calls of everybody dialing in? Yeah, everyone claiming to do everything, right? If I right. pick up the phone and I've got an existing contract with like an AT and T or Verizon of the world, and I call them and I'm like, "Hey, I I need help with cybersecurity." They're like, "Oh yeah, I can do it." Oh, I need help with SUN. Oh, I can do that. I need help with the you know new networking, whatever. And not everyone is the greatest at everything. Right. So that's my job. Evaluate these guys, evaluate emerging technologies. A lot of my clients actually give me homework assignments. And that's how I'm I'm as well versed in zero trust as I am with network segmentation. Because one of my clients, my client, he's uh, they're actually based out of Germany. And about six months ago, he came to me and said, I need to accomplish this. I don't know who's in this space. And I said, you know, I know a couple logos, but let me do some due diligence. And my team and I took it on as a homework assignment. We spent a couple months on this, spent four or five months, interviewed a ton of companies and came up with our own pseudo Gartner magic quadrant. And that whole learning experience was a great learning experience for me. And that's why I can replicate that and go on to the next business and next business and really streamline that conversation. Right. And it's um, it's a it's a it's a great part of the job. I, I love that part of the job. No, and that's the you know. You're very, you're in a very rare space where you are actually doing that, right? What, what, you know, my space with what I'm doing, we're, we're, you know, we're picking what we think is the best 
value, best technology for the buck. And we're, we're learning it and we're, the whole company's ramping up on one technology and we're going to market with it. And, uh, and you know, we know it's bulletproof cause we've done it, but it, but we, it might not be the next big thing is what I'm saying. You know, we're, we, so some companies, you know, they don't mind pushing that envelope being the early adopter, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that's kind of where you come into play. That's kind of why you're here. And, in, in ex- you know, one of the coolest conversations I have with clients is that whole kind of hyper curve mm-hmm. that we talk about. So you got the early adopters and the early majority and then the late majority and the laggards, right? And sure. I'm missing one in there. And I, that story that the, the whole crossing the chasm thing, once you get over 13 and a half percent market penetration, you've crossed the chasm and, you know, now you're set to actually grow. Um, having those conversations with businesses and with people, it, you see the, you, you see light bulb moments. You see people go, yeah, that's right. When, and you ask them, where do you fall into this hypercurve? Are you a late majority? Are you an early majority? Are you an early adopter? Do you want to take risks? Do you believe in this? And man, they're, they're great conversations. They're fun to have. No, it's just a question. Yeah. That's, you know, do you want to be the guinea pig? Cause nobody wants to download windows 11 when it's sitting there staring at you, telling you to do it. And you're like, I want to wait a couple minutes, you know, mm-hmm. I'm the idiot that pushed the thing and saying, well, you know, I'm in the business. If I, you know, if this thing messes up, I want to know what messed up, you know, my, my yeah. outlook still, you know, let someone else get burned and learn from their battle scars. Right. Yeah, well, no, you know, I figured I'd do it because, you know, I got a bunch of geeks working with us and, you know, if it messes up, they'll fix it. But I mean, so far, it's been so good. I, I didn't expect anything to be weird. Um, You know, everybody always panics when you have a GUI change. Oh, my goodness. The, uh, the only thing I think the email notification sound sounds like it's. God, what did I say it was? It sounds like you're like deleting something. It almost sounds like an error. So you get that bling, you know, that that notification Uh-oh. sound. And it's not what I'm used to hearing. So it's like I heard a couple of people in the office like, what the hell is that sound? I'm like, oh, I'm getting emails. They're like, oh, it sucks. <laughs> you know, I think that, that was our biggest gripe about Windows 11. So I got a question for you. You know, I understand, you know, your day job and your, your managed services company. What are your company? What are your clients asking you about when it comes to emerging technologies? What are they talking about? Cyber? Are they talking about hosted voice? Are they talking about wide area network? Or what, what are they asking I mean, the, about? The, most of the time, they, they they tell us, "What do you think?" I think that's most of the time that's what they hired us for. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Hey, we really think you need to." And they're like, "Go ahead, you know." Um, but, but let's talk about it a year in advance so we we can plan for it. Don't just tell me next month we're doing this. Um, you know, we still have a lot of old, very old clients that have some, they still have legacy stuff going on. We're still, you know, we're in operation, get rid of all the terminal service, terminal servers, terminal services, you know, get them out of there. You got, you know, well, we have, you know, handful of clients that got 15, 20 loca- uh, locations at the time. It was great. Guess what though? You put Microsoft teams in a, in a thin client and it runs like doggy do. Um, <laughs> so you know, those these are things like, hey, over the next 12 months, we're going to replace 150 PCs and we're going to get everybody off these terminal, you know, thin clients. And, um, you know, so it's things like that. It's, you know, oh, hey, by the way, you know, you have I'm going to dump on them. I don't give a shit. Um, you have Windstream. They need to go away. Um, <laughs> and l- let's talk to you about some certain things um, that we can do. Uh, you're <laughs> laughing, but it's, tr- you know, it's true. Um, I, w- I want to tell you about a story I had with a rep from a carrier and it 
I don't know why I was reminded of this, but I, I went to lunch with the carrier and the rep from the carrier, I said, okay, what are you good at? Or I said, what do you want to talk about? And he goes, well, no one's great at everything. I'm like, okay, that, that's interesting. Good start. And he's like, well, everyone kind of sucks at certain things. And and I, I, I need to tread lightly here. I'm like, okay, so he goes on with all the things they kind of struggle with. And I said, well, what don't you struggle with? And he named like two technologies and they're very commoditized technologies. I was like, okay, that, that's great. Um, oh, no, I, he told me all the technologies they weren't good at, but then I said, what are you good at? And he goes, healthcare and retail. I'm like, you're, you're good at healthcare and retail, but you kind of struggle with these technologies. And, and they were two different verticals. And I just kind of giggled to myself during the lunch and even the rep, he goes, all right, Jason, I, I know we're not going to be working together, but enjoyed, you know, I appreciate the burger and the beer. Um, that, that was an interesting lunch. Why did he come up to that conclusion? Just because you were kind of rolling your eyes or what are you saying? Yeah, I wear my heart on my sleeve. And, yeah. and I asked a question. I was like, you just mentioned all these technologies you struggle with. And then when I ask you, what are you good at? You mentioned two verticals and those verticals couldn't be more separate, you know, retail versus healthcare. I mean, right. Those are very specific. And how do you plug in the technologies that you just kind of bagged on? Um, anyways, so you're yeah, just making you, up your story, shit. Your story reminded me of that lunch. No, no. And that's the one thing, you know, you talked about what I'm talking about. Um, the one thing I, I'll sit down and I'll just say what sucks and I'll sit back with a notepad and just let them go. And it's not necessarily about the technology. It's about what their day-to-day life, you know, as a user, I want to open up my laptop. I want to do my work and I want nothing. Technology shouldn't be my hindrance. Yeah. Right. I'm like, okay, so what are you, what, you know, so that's why I'm like, what sucks? And it's like, well, you know, when I open up teams, it runs slow. Okay. Let's figure that out. So it's kind of like finding out, you know, we're big on root cause, you know, that's great that we can do a help desk ticket, but you know, if I get more than two, we're doing a root cause analysis. And it, you know, a lot of times, you know, those, they don't, you know, they're hiring us as to be their IT department for a reason. We're supposed mm-hmm. to figure it out. You know, we're supposed to tell them what to do. You, you know, one of the, one of my favorite conversations, and I see a couple of light bulb moments when this happens, when I work with new people that, you know, we haven't worked with, they've worked together before is when I come in and say, listen, it's, it's not my job to come in here and ask you what keeps you up at night. You know, what, what projects are you working on or initiatives that I can kind of I say, attach myself I say infomercials. To? I say infomercials when they ask me that. <laughs> the ShamWow guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What keeps you up at night? <laughs> infomercials. So, but and, and, and I'll tell them, I was like, listen, it's my job to come in here and tell you what your peers in the industry are doing. What are yeah. they working on? And how are they, how are they overcoming it? How are they handling those projects and how are those projects going? Because I'll meet with more CIOs in a month than, you know, most CIOs will actually meet within a year. And it's just the nature of the business. So I I love this kind of um, different approach from, uh, you know, most VAR guys or, you know, uh, technology sales reps are going to come in and try and attach themselves out of the gate. I love the whole consultative. Let me tell you what everyone else is worried about. You tell me, does it resonate with you? Yeah. No, that's fair. So, you know, I'm still uh I'm still stuck on Vegas, not because I like or dislike the town, but I um I'm curious, you know, I like these kind of shows um for the simple fact that um a couple people are brave enough to to put out what's next and what's like what's uh what's that next big thing, you know, what's the next Brock Lesnar, right, coming out. Mm-hmm. Sorry, bad wrestling reference, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, like what, what's that, 
what's that? Hey, what the hell is that? Like, are they just trying to remarket spin something or is there an actually cool new stuff coming out? So the top three things that everyone's talking about right now is hosted voice, SD-WAN, cybersecurity. Cybersecurity, you know, we talked about it earlier. It's really broad really quickly. Um, I don't know if this answers your question or not, but I'll tell you one of the conversations that stood out the most to me than any other conversation I had in Vegas. I was working with a carrier. Um, They're out of New England. They've got over 30 data centers across the country. And he, he proceeds to tell me, he goes, do you have any clients that have big data centers that they're not using anymore? So what do you mean? He goes, 10,000 square feet or larger. A lot of clients, you know, working in the 90s, built these big data centers. And, you know, servers are getting smaller. Storage is getting smaller. Rack space requirements are getting smaller. So a lot of companies started out with these big data centers. And now they're using like a quarter of what they used to use. He goes, if you can, if you can introduce me to that company, we'll buy their data center and lease them back just the space they need. And they'll turn it into a colo. So they're coloing to the colo. <laughs> they're creating pods. They're creating pods all across the country. Yeah. And they just started this late last year. And it's a great conversation. I mean, if, if you talk to like, let's say a big name healthcare company in the area. And it's like, yeah, they're only using 30% of their data center, but they're paying for power, cooling, real estate, property yeah. taxes. All that adds up. And those healthcares, they need to find cost savings. It just is what it is. And this this was a light bulb conversation for me. This jumped out at me and I said, you know, that's a real conversation that, you know, a small majority of the people I talk to, but there there are people out there that could actually take advantage of this. You know, it, it wasn't a technology, it was a strategy. It was a, an offering that that was probably the most impactful conversation I had out there. No, and I like that sometimes more than anything is, you know, finding I call it finding money. Mhm. Right, where you're you're you know selling a value and you're not selling a product, you're selling a, the way for them to buy the three things that they couldn't do. Right. So, yeah. like, yeah, this is a box with holes in it. Great. You got it, you know, you're paying double on the, that box with holes in it, you know. But now you can I was I was equated when I sold value. I was equated it to hey, what do you want to do when you know when you come home to your wife, you you can show her a Porsche. Or you can show her a challenger and a ski boat and, and two jet skis and a trip to Disney for your fam. I go, what are you going to bring home? I go, the Porsche is great. I go, maintenance sucks. You know, this one's got free free maintenance on it. You know, what are you going to do? The the most bang for your buck, right? And yeah. you know, I, I when I when I'm talking consulting with businesses, a lot of times they'll tell me we don't have budget for at that project right now, Jason. I'm like, that's cool because I'm not here to work on my timeline. I'm here to work on yours. Yeah. But if budget's your problem, don't let that stop you from telling me what you what you're concerned about, what you want to work on. Because guess what? I can probably help you find budget or at least a portion of it. Sure. Right. It's have yeah. The last the last project we uh, worked on, we saved freed up a like well over a hundred grand uh, annually. So you know now it's like okay, you had these three check boxes. What do you want to do? One of the most successful meetings I had was with a board of directors, large steel manufacturing company. And um, I was just in the back of the room. Uh, The director of IT and the CIO were up front and I did their TCO analysis for them. 
And by moving off MPLS to SD-WAN, I mean, this is easy because MPLS is so expensive, but by moving to this, they could have better um, wide area network connectivity and resiliency, but they could also save, I think it was like $2.1 million over three years. Jeez. And when the CIO presented this to the board, the board just stopped. They didn't listen to the technology. They didn't listen to the pitch on, you know, what SD-WAN vendor versus another. They didn't even get to the red, yellow, green slide. They just said, hold on, are these numbers real? And the CFO, he validated it, said, yes, I've audited these. These are real. And the board said, we don't care what this is. You just go ahead and do it. Just do it. Right. That was that was a great time. That was <laughs> that was that was fun. But then uh, that's when you say, "Okay, cool. I just saved you two million. How are we spending it?" You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but that that's how you differentiate yourself in the market. You know what I mean? Anyone can you know say that, but like, hey, what you know? What do you need to get done? Let's go. Let's go knock that out now. Um, all right, Mr. So, CIO, what are you worried about? Let me know and we'll try and you know sell yeah, yeah. it together. We'll 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 fight the battle hand in hand. So what was the worst booth you saw? Anyone's peddling crap that you just laughed at? Uh, you don't have to say the name. Don't say no, please don't say the name. Just I, I'm not gonna say any names today. Um there's a colo provider with like two data centers on each one on opposite sides of the country, and it was a very small footprint never heard the logo before and they're like oh we've got redundant generators I'm like you're colo <laughs> right why, why are we talking um i don't know it's amazing to me how many small mom and pop shop hosted voice providers there are out there so the hosted voice market is less than 20 percent penetrated which blows my mind because i work with you know the top five hosted ucas vendors in the world and you're and it, you're like 13 shots down. You haven't did your uh, drink every time you do a bad acronym. Cheers. <laughs> right, here, there. I'm repping GTS. Uh, those guys owe me a beer too. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's there's so many mom and pop um, hosted voice providers out there that are rebranding like an Asterix or an old open sourced call control platform right that's really designed for that like 50 user and under space or 100 user and under space and they're having success they're doing good the the product works for the most part um doesn't have a lot of integrations with teams or crm systems but at the end of the day you know you, you get these small five person retail offices or you know whatever the business may be they're having some success. They I had really a friend are. of mine that's local pitch me on doing like open source doing that. I'm like, I can't. Like, I I love you, but I can't. Like, I, I like the direction you guys went. You guys went the right direction. Yeah, yeah. No, we're uh, yeah. It's piddly stuff. We're having fun though. If you're going to work in this space, you have to work with reputable companies. Companies yeah. you can hang your reputation on, your name on. Companies that are proven. They got the battle scars. Um, you're you're working with A players. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Likewise with you. Well, thank you. So, any uh, any horror stories before we cut you loose? I always like talking about those. Oh man, horror stories! I could talk. I could talk to you about the colo I, I helped the client move into in Southfield in the middle of a blizzard at like midnight. The, um, and I'll tell you the story. So, uh, very reputable colo provider, but they have one building over off the lodge that it doesn't have an elevator 
and it's two stories. Yeah, and I know. I know. Client, this, I know this provider. Yeah, go ahead. Go they're on. They're a great company. I, yeah, I know they're, they're awesome. I know they are. And my client calls me. I've already kind of brokered this deal and, and structured everything for them. And um, my client calls me the day of the move in the middle of February and goes, Jason, they don't have an elevator and everything's on the second floor. I'm like, that can't be right. And I call the provider and they're like, yeah, it's right. We have a forklift guy yeah. that comes out and we have a window that is 36 and an eighth inches wide and everything fits through there or whatever the dimensions were. And we watched in the middle of the night as this forklift driver took pallets of, you know, 42 U racks and equipment that are all saran wrapped and just tilted that forklift up and lifted it up and put it through the window. And wow, it, that was an experience. The anxiety as a, as a, an owner of that gear and the driver could power a city. I couldn't imagine, you know, I had, we had a conference call with the carrier and the client that day. And I said, guys, who handles insurance here? Like who's responsible if something falls off a yeah. forklift? And they're like, well, usually clients have their own insurance policies. I'm like, oh, God. Uh, it went off fine. It went off without a hitch. They did a great job. But man, that that's that was that's a story I won't forget. I yeah, just the fact that anyone says, Oh yeah, go ahead, just grab a forklift, it'll work. Go ahead, yeah, fine. That's what I said. I said, who so who drives the forklift? They're like, ah, Randy or whoever. And I'm like, <laughs> Does Randy work at that time? He's like, oh, we can call him. He'll show up. I'm like, oh, God. Just like, like this is not going to go well. Driving that excavator at Extreme Sandbox and like how touchy those controls are with yeah. the hydraulics. Again, I would be like, I'd be, I'd be sweating through my winter coat. Like, so what was your? Did you drive more than one like front end loader or bulldozer? Yeah, we did a we did a bulldozer. And we did an excavator. Okay. So the, I did the excavator first. And basically what you did is you dug a hole, built a mound. Then they put a basketball in the mound. And then you did a 360 with the thing and hit the basketball. And whoever hit the basketball the farthest got to crush the car at the end. Did you get to crush a car? No. I was no. second to last. <laughs> me getting in and out. If you, if you know me, I got mobility. You know, I've had mobility issues yeah. since my surgery botched. Um me getting into that thing was a you know hats off to those guys man they had the golf cart they had like the the ramp steps for me um they they took made sure i was well taken care of um but getting that last step it's like a two and a half foot kind of up which was i got in but then getting out you know my knee was didn't want to go that you know and literally i just kicked my feet out and landed on my ass and then i was able to step on the steps yeah it was like the guy's like, you all right? I go, yeah, I didn't hurt. I didn't, I don't think I broke anything. Not like, any worse wow. than I was before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm fine, completely fine. <laughs> but then uh, then you got to drive and you got to, there's like a old piece of shit Jeep Cherokee with like a triangle weld on the roof. And you got to pick the thing up and then move it like kind of, you know, 180 Um, You know, and then it's just, you know, then the bulldozer, you had to like, you had to build a big ass mound and then you had to drive over it. And like mine, I'm like, I'm not going too high. You know what I mean? I'm just going to be nice and easy. Wayne that I'm with literally is like, he's teetering on the top of this little mound he built and like almost went straight down. I'm like, if you would have put your 
put the front end down, you would have flipped the thing. He's like, yeah, I know. I don't probably would never wouldn't be possible, but you know, drive bulldozers, man. Like again, that thing shakes. Like I've never been in a thing. Once you put it up to like, it goes up to four. I think when you do the accelerator, I was at one. I was at one and just like, just like literally your whole body's shaking. Yeah, yeah, it's it sounds right. Like it looks like it's fun to do to kind of play around with, <laughs> just to do it once. But you're right; I'm sure the guys that do it all the time, man. Um, yeah, that's that's my, a lot. Of, that's a my lot best friend's work. cousin. My best friend's cousin was in the construction business. Is like you didn't have to go all the way there to because I could just let you in the yard. And you could have played with our shit. Like, <laughs> no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I had this experience. You know, it's 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 curated. They're in your headset. They tell you exactly every move to make. You're not like. They don't just let you run around like an idiot. You, you know, somebody is going to flip it. Here's the crazy story, and I'll end on this one. So you have these excavators with these huge arms and the, the what do they call it, the beam? or There's a beam, there's a whatever. And when these things lift up, there's bald eagles in this part of Minnesota that will circle above you. And then if you lift it up to a certain point, they'll dive. on like Because they, they look at this as like a predator. Okay. The, the, the big yellow arm thing and like i thought the guy was full of shit when he's telling us the story and at the end we're walking out and we're like looking up and i go did you see the bald eagle i go no i didn't see the bald eagle they go look and it's up there there's some bitch just circling above the, the above the uh excavator that reminds me of the old uh was it dr seuss book are you my mother where right. the bird went to the crane yeah, yeah, totally. are you my mother I've got three little girls. Of course, I'm going to quote Dr. Seuss. Yeah, yeah. But no, but it's 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 yeah. that's what it is. But yeah. uh, no, it's a cool experience. But anyway, Jason, always good hanging out with you, man. We uh, we need to do uh, lunch or drinks soon. Uh, you let me know. Um, but it's always a pleasure having you on, Jason Bork, uh, C3. You can find him on LinkedIn. We will post uh, his link on uh, unless you don't want me to. I'm going to. I don't care what you say um, for the show notes afterwards. But uh, we're going to wrap things up for this episode of the IT and the D Show on behalf of Bob and Randy. Do us a favor. Drink up your drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it.